an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands, ShipStation lets you automate routine shipping tasks and easily handle returns. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications with ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard. Plus, you can access industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code WONDERY today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com promo code WONDERY. Welcome to the ID10T podcast. Um, If you're just joining us, this is the ID10T podcast. Uh, Just in case they skipped ahead a few seconds. Oh, thanks, Joan. I didn't see you there. Thanks for... It's okay. I I tiptoed in. Oh, that's so nice. Mm-hmm. Welcome to a very special ASMR version. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Oh, oh, my God. Please don't. Please don't. Oh, my God. Okay. Bit over. Don't do it. One or two. Stop it. Two or three. <laughs> Stop it. That, Four better? Five. That drives me. Like, I've tried to watch ASMR videos, and I just start going, nope. Can't yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Out. I'm no good. Can't do it. I'm not going with it. And it's fun. Um... I'm making fun of people who like it. <laughs> That's not nice, it's Jonah. It's not nice. That's not nice at all. Well, Neil likes it, and so it's fun making fun of him. Oh, it's fun making fun of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Do you make fun of him on Jonah Radio and on your podcast? A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. How were your shows in Chicago? Oh, uh, they were a blast. Good. Yeah, it was really, everyone was really sweet. Uh, the crowds were awesome. The shows were fun. I feel good about doing You did like a stand-up show, and then the early show was a stand-up show, and the late show was like a Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, I riffed with uh, Down in Front, which is like a local riffing uh, crew out in Chicago. And like we riffed on uh, the movie Gedevin. Uh, Zach Thompson also joined (laughs) us. He was one of the boneheads in the last season of Mystery Science Theater. And then on Saturday, I did stand-up, and then we did a live Jonah radio. Yeah, I saw on Instagram a guy guy sang was singing the chorus to Reptilicus. They're talking Monsters of the World. Yeah, yeah, for the the stand-up bit, uh, uh, like like I've been ending my shows like doing the Reptilicus rap, but I always ask people, you know, every country has a monster. I ask if anyone knows the chorus, and I invite them up to sing it. That was really fun to watch someone just like know the chorus by heart. It was really cool. And like uh, you can't hear it on the video, but like some people were shouting out certain lines you know of the the rap like beastie boy style which was always kind of fun and it was just it was awesome and you know thank thank you joel hotch and ellie kaylin and paul and storm for making a song that i can do in my act now and thanks to uh, comedy on state in madison wisconsin uh, i just did five shows there and they were a fucking blast madison is a great town i love that town and that that club is incredible it's just it's just incredible uh katie do you have some other events that are not jonah or chris related <laughs> from the id10t community corkboard yeah what's matt doing <laughs> I don't even know what Matt's doing. Like I, he's I disappeared. He's just dropped off. Like I yeah. see him on Instagram every once in a while. I'm like, oh, he's in. Bo- okay, now he's in New York. Yeah, I don't know. Where Tune he's- into Chris's uh, Chris and I's new podcast. Where in the world is Matt Myra? <laughs> Finding Myra. Finding Myra. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, Sam Walker writes, I'm currently interning at 1888, a cultural center in Old Town Orange, where we publish award-winning novellas and fantastic podcasts. We are in the midst of our Why We Write Roadshow. The project highlights why we love to write and inspirations behind it. We'll be having guest speakers reading selected essays at each show and have two more roadshows at Cook's Chapel, Packing House in Anaheim on Wednesday, May 16th, and at our center, 1888, Wednesday, June 20th, uh, tickets are just $9, and you can find more info and get tickets at 1888.center. Jason writes, For more than 20 years, I've wanted to write a story about Atlantis sinking into the ocean. I finally did it. It's a fantasy adventure called Atlantis Kingdom Come, and it is how about how the civilization fell with a love story sprinkled in. It was an absolute labor of love, and people can search Atlantis Kingdom Come on Amazon or go to AtlantisKingdomCome.com to find more. This episode is Malcolm Barrett, who um, I met at Comic-Con last year, and is and I absolutely adore him in Preacher. He's in Preacher. He's also on a show called Timeless, which is a really cool show Sunday nights at 10 p.m. on NBC. And uh, we just super bonded at comic-con and our emotional and pop culture dna is so interwoven i could have talked to this guy for like four hours um and uh stick around for the end of the podcast for a very special treat at the end which you may figure out as you listen to the podcast it's just a fun easter egg at the end uh but malcolm barrett is amazing watch everything he does follow everything he does and uh this episode brought to you by mattress firm hey jonah yeah chris are you struggling to sleep? You know it. Demons inside my brain all the time. And it makes my body uncomfortable. Well, the fine folks at Mattress Firm want to help you. Oh, finally. I just want a good night of sleep so I can battle them on my own. Well, Mattress Firm's going to straight up help you build your bed from headboard to adjustable bases to sheets. They even have bedroom decor. Make your demons happy. If you can't get rid of them, give them some decor they can be excited about. Man, me and my demons are now going to have a sleepover. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, a paisley blanket, eh? Do you like it, demon? (laughs) I guess you do. Sorry, I was busy swallowing your soul. (laughs) Well, they've got you covered both literally and figuratively. Go to mattressfirm.com slash ID10T to save 10% with the code ID10T through May 8th. You're going to get a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Go to mattressfirm.com slash ID10T to learn how your sleeping could be tremendously improved. Also, this episode brought to you by Burrow. So uh, a lot of uh, things come in boxes these days. You guys, your mattress, your clothes, your eyeglasses, now luxury couches come in boxes too. No more heavy lifting or dinging your walls while moving in. Burrow brings style and comfort to a whole new level and ships to your door fast and free. The couch experience has been reinvented. This is the same quality you can expect from high-end retailers, but without uh, giving all your money away. Uh, all Burrow furniture is shipped fast. Shipping is free. Setup is super easy, as is moving it again if you need to. Burrow is adaptable. If your space changes, their modular design is going to allow you to move it and allow it to grow with you. Stain-resistant fabric. It can take your pet claws, your built-in USB charger. Uh, Burrow has the durability and functionality to keep up with your hectic life. 30 days of cozy on your Burrow risk-free. Customize your own Burrow and get $75 off your order by going to Burrow.com slash ID10T. That's B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash ID10T for $75 off your purchase. Burrow makes a luxury couch for real life. Now your demons can hang out in the living room too, Jonah. If it's a fold-out, they'll be very happy. We don't have to snuggle. Nice callback. <laughs> this is the ID10T podcast number 955 with Malcolm Barrett. Katie, roll the thing. I want to go snack on Jonah's fears for a while. Here we go. Initiating ID10T protocol. 
That's fucking crazy. Why would... <laughs> Why would Beetlejuice go to Hawaii? Why? <laughs> that can't be real. Think, why can't it? Because <laughs> it's just, why would he? Why would he? Oh, hey, what am I eating? Poi over here? Like, What's uh, the really solid Beetlejuice 2 movie? Like, what's the really solid pitch for that 28 years later? I, I think with a movie like that, what has to happen is that... I, I know exactly what it. I think it is. <laughs> It's and I don't know if it's Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, because. But if it's but if it's not, or maybe it's Winona Ryder. Maybe Winona Ryder has. But first of all, one might make the argument that the animated series Beetlejuice was an ongoing sequel to Beetlejuice. Ah. However, if we're removing that from the equation and we're just talking about the Beetlejuice cinematic universe, what has to happen is that Beetlejuice is basically has to be rescued. And the character of Lydia Dietz, who's mm-hmm. probably now in her own relationship because she'd be in her 40s. Yeah. Um, she uh, essentially has to rescue him using some type of necromancy or something. Mm-hmm. And that, that's sort of what my guess would be is that okay. Be- Beetlejuice is somehow – because he's not like – he's not necessarily the – Antagonist of the film. He's sort of pro and antagonist. He's the anti hero. He is an anti hero, yeah. He's yeah. like, because he starts off as the antagonist and then becomes the protagonist. Maybe the maybe Beetlejuice 2 is Winona Ryder going around to all the parks where guys are doing Beetlejuice characters and just going, stop that. <laughs> Cut it out. Don't do that. <laughs> hey, what do you want to. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. No, don't do that. I didn't summon you. I didn't say your name three times. What if Beetlejuice is haunting Michael Keaton? <laughs> that would be... Do, like, now, you mean in, in like sort of like in a Freddy's New Nightmare sort of a thing where yeah, the film brought like, the character yeah. to life? But or like, his... Beetlejuice doesn't exist in his world. Because you can't, you can't, when you do the new nightmare thing, it's, it's hard, it it's always comes off a little cheesy. So it's True. gotta be, it's gotta be actual Mike and Keaton. Is, is he having a psychotic break or is he really being haunted by He's Beetlejuice? He's really being haunted by Beetlejuice. <laughs> His performance was so good that he brought Beetlejuice Yeah, it's into... a real, it's, you know, he's, and he's used to this. He's done, what was it, multiplicity or whatever, like, so like, he's built for this. So you're saying that every time, like, okay, so wait, so Michael Keaton, uh, yeah, he created a bunch yeah. of, Every time Michael Keaton's in a movie, he creates that character. So in Multiplicity, he created a bunch of dumb clones of himself. I wasn't, but now I am. <laughs> well, where's his Bruce Wayne then? Where's his fucking Bruce Wayne? In the shadows. Stuck. He's bat dancing. He's bat dancing. Yeah, That's he's in he another town. It's a he's, whole other yeah, city. He's, he's bat- Speaking of bat dance. Wait, have we started the show? Yeah, probably. So <laughs> I, was just, uh, I was just reading an article that said that no one's going to be charged in Prince's death because he didn't know he was taking fentanyl. He thought he was just taking Vicodin, but it was laced with fentanyl. It was like dirty Vicodin. So he didn't know, and so no one's going to be charged because they can't prove any sort of intent. It's just like somehow, I don't know if he answered an e- a, a phishing email or went where, online. Where did he get the Vicodin? I have no idea. I, I have no idea. They didn't, they didn't say. But it just, it just said that, he, that they, they are suggesting that he was entirely unaware that he was taking fentanyl. He thought he was just thought it was just a Vicodin day. And, uh, took <laughs> just fentanyl. a regular Vicodin. Just a regular Vicodin. Know, I'm so out of this world. I don't know what any of these pills do. I don't I'm know not 100% seed, sure either. I know Vicodin. Did a drill. I, I know weed. That's I the know. only thing. <laughs> the Vicodin For is, sure is, is in the um, Oxy family right? of, of very heavy-duty painkillers. 
many, many, many years ago, I, I took it, my back went completely out, and I took it, and I did not enjoy the experience, um, and, uh, and felt very nauseous, and so, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I wish I could say I knew what fentanyl is, I don't know, I'm, I'm out of my, uh. It's a DC depth. character. I don't know it's if a, you yeah, know that. <laughs> Oh, so it's going to be really broody, yeah, and yeah, its, it's movie dark. is going to be shot on an Instagram filter. Yeah, it's going to be great. A lot of slow motion. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's fucking Superman versus Fentanyl. It's going to be oh fucking... God. The original series, though? They've changed his character. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, I like Fentanyl in the comics. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, he went through a lot of canon. really... Yeah, canon. Jim Lee had a really good uh, like graphical take on Fentanyl, but, you know, so I don't know. You know, I don't know what it is. And it's... Uh, they cast Rob Pattinson. I mean, I like him. I think he's. I think he's going to make a great fentanyl. <laughs> Robert Pattinson is going to be a great fentanyl. He's going to be a great fentanyl. Now, what he was doing in Prince's System, I don't know. <laughs> but research. Yeah. He was <laughs> Hello. I'm sorry. I've killed Prince. I was uh, just researching a role. I have great costume ideas. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> Sorry, I had to kill him, but I mean, the wardrobe's oh. going to be amazing. It's going to be really amazing. Fentanyl two is even better. It's, we've all, we're, we're committed to a trilogy. <laughs> What's great uh, is I have no idea how Robert Pattinson talks. I just I just took what you did. He's a very sweet man, and it's a very quiet British. Like is it's that, a very yeah yeah. It was very it was pretty close. It was, yeah, pretty close. It was like relatively accurate. Yeah, it was it was it was what you thought it would be. Okay, it was right. we thought it'd be. Katie, how are we doing on fentanyl? Oh, it, oh, the anesthetic. That's the one that, is that the one that killed Prince? That he or was, Michael Jackson. I, Prince. Yes, it is the one that killed Prince is the answer. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> that is the one that killed Prince. That's the one thing we've established. It's the other one than that, that fentanyl is the, one the that greatest superhero. <laughs> comic book history. No, when he starts talking, everyone just gets real sleepy. Okay. That's all, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. The character of fentanyl. He's just magic power. He's a natural anesthetic. He's I like a, that. He's a human anesthetic. He's a mutant. That makes as much sense as, uh, what is it, Domino's power, which is what, luck? Just super lucky. <laughs> yeah, just super lucky. But at least that's in Deadpool, so that it... So it makes... So it, it totally... Justifies it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, for some reason, I didn't know Rob Delaney was in Deadpool 2. And I was, could you, are you talking about the, the Deadpool trailer that came out today? I literally, so I'm on a, uh, I'm on a, what is it, a thread of blurds, yeah. these black nerds that yeah. I hang out with, a bunch of writers from all these comic books or whatever. So we just send each other all sorts of stuff. And literally before I came here, they sent uh, the Equalizer 2 trailer, mm-hmm. international trailer, and the latest Deadpool 2 trailer. And then that had the full Rob Delaney. The previous trailers had like just the picture of Rob Delaney. Yeah, like, really as quickly. Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't, I don't know the character from the comic books or if it is. Uh, I love, when I saw the, and I tweeted this today that I, when I saw the first Deadpool, I was like, well, this is great. How they'll never be able to do this again. Like yeah. the, all the they did all the comic book jokes. It's very meta. It's very fourth wally. We get it. I don't know how they would do this again. And I just saw that trailer. I'm like, God damn it! This looks really fucking great. It looks really good. Yeah, it looks really. I mean, I love I love Cable. I love De- I like I love Deadpool's humor. Like I love the group that. What is it? The X Force they're gonna have in there. Yes, but you know, De- Deadpool's humor does run the risk of like it, it, if it's getting it, old, if not quick. used properly. Yes, it yes. could grate on you really quickly. But it isn't. But the trailer that I saw looks fucking great. Look, it, it it's fucking um, what is his name? He's famous. He plays Deadpool. Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we playing twenty five thousand dollar pyramid? Yeah, right yeah. Now? This is it. You nailed it. But like, I feel like his humor is Deadpool, and we haven't gotten completely sick of him yet. No, I'm not. I'm not at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I feel like 
it'll be like his career. It'll be great, and then there'll be like a lull, <laughs> and then we'll and then enjoy him again. Explode, and then yeah, then we'll enjoy him again. Yeah, he's really done an amazing job with that. And it, but again, you know, that's such an interesting lesson of if they had made that movie twelve or thirteen or like whenever I think like two thousand four or so was around when he started talking about doing a Deadpool movie, we wouldn't have been ready for it yet because we needed that many years. Of superhero franchises in order to make it to work, break it down. Yes, yeah. In order to deconstruct it, you had you had to have all these movies that now we get the idea of it because you forget as a comic book fan how much the general public doesn't necessarily immediately gravitate towards that or immediately right. know everything or all the rules. Do you know what I mean? You kind of forget because you're like they're like, but how does this work? Like, aren't people going to commit? It's, like, it's a fucking comic book. Whatever, yeah. whatever they say is yeah. how it works. Like I always find it funny where they're like. Like, there's always some article where they're like, oh, people are going to get confused between the Flash movie and the Flash existing on television. Right. And I'm like, one's the television one. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the difference. No, I love the television one. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. But I, I, and I, I was, I was kind of bummed that they didn't connect those universes. It would have been cool. I think it's too hard because look, they tried to do that with Agents of Shield, right? Right. And then they eventually had to kind of walk away from it because then it gets too interlocked in a way that you can't. Maybe, control. but it's just like, why make him Barry Allen? Like, why not make him Jay Garrick? Or like, why also not make true. him a different Flash? Like, why, why have two coexisting Barry Allens? And yes, I understand that comics have different iterations and blah blah blah. Yeah. But. You know, when when you've built up your fan base for the last few years for a very popular show that's really fun, you know, like, just connect that one, you know, or make him a different Flash. I don't know. That's just, that's what I would have done, but no one asked no me. No one asked you to do this? No one asked. This is insane. That, that's crazy that no one asked Has me. anyone asked you, do you write, how much do you write? Do you write? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm writing. A, I, I wrote a. I wrote a pilot for NBC this year, um, uh, and I wrote, I'm writing a horror movie right now. Good. With, I came here to talk about your pilots and your. Oh, good. <laughs> Excellent. You, you can tell me why it's not going to be on the air. Oh, uh, oh I got because they have no taste. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm always like, why? I wonder if he's ever going to write like a comic book movie. Oh, or comic book or something like that. If they ever for me, it's just horror walk up to you and go. For like, me, it's horror. For me, it's yeah. horror. I mean, when when I was growing up, admittedly. I was not the biggest comic book nerd. Like, my stuff was more video games and tech mm-hmm. and sci-fi and horror. Um, and the maybe I've told this story on the podcast before, but when I was mm, 11, uh, I had a friend whose parents uh, were very well off. And so he was, a, he, was a, he was a spoiled kid, but a really cool kid. He was a nerd. I really looked up to this kid. His name was, his name was Mike Soper. I haven't talked to him since, like, sixth grade, fifth grade. Oh, Mike? Yeah. How is he? He's great. Oh, great. Yeah. He was in, he was almost was fentanyl and then uh, <laughs> and then and then that came in. But the thing I loved about Mike is that he was a nerdy kid uh, and he transferred into our school and this is the moment that I knew I was I was in friendship love with him. We were uh, we were having lunch and uh, and you know I was uh, sort of regularly teased and bullied as a small nerdy kid who was into you know chess club and D and D and shit like that before there was an internet. Uh, so I only had like three other friends. Yeah, so you only know the five people. You don't yeah, know yeah, there's yeah. millions no, of people. No, no, no. I'm not, not, I'm not even aware that, that, that yeah. that's all out there. I know that we, you know, we have a little computer club there. There's a bunch of Apple IIEs, so we have computers and chess and whatever. And so uh, we're sitting at lunch, and this big dopey kid decides to harass the new kid, which is Mike, who's not much bigger than I am. 
But I remember for some reason he just had, he had bigger hands. I don't know why I remember. I'll tell you why I remember that in a sec. So the kid starts coming over and he's kind of harassing Mike. And then Mike goes, uh, oh, the kid goes, uh, well, why don't you suck my dick? And then Mike goes, uh, why don't you suck your own dick? Like, you know, so first of all, I'm totally blown away that not only is sort of the bully, but like he's confounded him. The bully's like, what, what? And so he goes to poke his finger like into Mike's chest. And Mike, just as casually as I'm talking to you right now, just stands up and just punches him across the face. The kid goes down like a fucking sack of potatoes and immediately starts crying. And I, it was, I was like, <gasps> wow, teach me. Yeah, what? Yeah. You know, because I'd never, just never even occurred to me that you could stand up the, to a bully. I thought you, you just, just had him? to take it. Yeah, no, I had Mike also and had no a huge one ever dick. fucked with him again. Yeah, why would they? Yeah, and so anyway, so Mike um, was very into comics, and we I went comic book shopping with him um, on a Tuesday, and every week he bought two of everything, and there was one one of that set he did not remove from the mylar, and the other of the set he would carefully take out and read, and his parents' attic had been transformed into this. You know, this fucking wonderland playroom for him. And he had the most meticulously organized crates by uh, by Marvel, DC. Really? Then by artist. And then – and I was so overwhelmed that at 11, I didn't realize that, um, oh, you can kind of do it your own way. I just mm-hmm. thought, oh, this is how I'm supposed to collect comics I can neither afford to do this, nor this is so overwhelming. No. And so it, it actually kind of turned me off for a very long time. From So that's why I was never a comic kid when yeah. I was growing up. I remember actually drawing and creating a comic with a friend of mine. How to a draw the Marvel character. way? No, I would have loved that if I knew. But he, he was the drawer and I was the think tank behind it. Um, but that quickly... Ended because we were just stealing powers from other. <laughs> that's what fucking comics do. That's though. it is. Yeah. Now I know. Now, now you know. Do you remember the first time you stood up to a bully? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday. Not sure I have. No. Um. I, I certainly don't think I did it in grade school. And then when I went to high school, I went to this all boys Catholic school, and there really weren't any bullies mm-hmm. there because it was very small and. Also, because there were no girls at the school, there like this the hormone like the active I have to impress impress somebody was gone, and so it was just like you know we're all in our you know somewhat uniforms, and so uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if I even have a good story. Maybe it wasn't until the internet, and that I don't even know if that counts because I'm not really standing up to were them. You just on the keyboard, <laughs> yeah, 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 just on the keyboard. <laughs> Uh, so I was sitting down to a bully <laughs> to type at them. That's something. Well, I don't know. Did you stand up to a bully? I specifically remember there was there was there was definitely like two or three kids at my high school that were just like badass kids that you like. I never stood up to. <laughs> like I never like I was just like you were just hoping they'd be your friend at some point, right? So you'd be like, yeah. But there was this one kid who had a thing for me. I, re- I remember the first time he approached me was at the library, and it was probably because there was a girl. There was a girl, and it was like him or whatever, and they're saying whatever, and they said, "How old, by me, the way?" I was probably like, was it junior high, okay. right? So okay. like 12 or 13. Yeah. And then I remember being in the hallway and him like 
making fun of me or trying to do whatever. And I was just like, I wasn't a huge fight kid, but I didn't back down. I yeah. was always in nerd classes. Like, I was always in, like, special nerd classes yeah. throughout my entire life. I always went to, like, always lived in super ghetto neighborhoods and then went to super nerdy classes. Okay. Uh, and then, like, I remember this kid, like, who was just, like, coming at me. And I just stood there and stared him down. Oh, he was, like, insulting me. And I was just, like, giving him the ice grill. <laughs> And they were like, everyone was so impressed by that. Like, afterwards, they started calling me The Undertaker. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> like, I was like, this is the best time of my life. And then I think we got in a fight on a bus, and I kicked him off a bus. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, So you did. I think we eventually had a thing where, he, where I kicked him off Fuck, you know, my, my wife has a great story about how, because <clears throat> uh, her dad was a police officer and a private detective, and, and um, so... You know, he he had taught her to, you know, to stand up for herself. And she said she was in first grade and she was just a tiny little gelfling of a creature. And this, uh, like a second or third grader, started poking his finger in her chest on the bus. And almost as if she was some type of an alien or an android, I think it was one of those things where she just kind of cocked her head to the side, grabbed his finger and just bent it back to his wrist, <laughs> just broke his finger. And, of course, he uh, melted down. And uh, then never bothered her again. Yeah, but then the school, you know, like when they went to her parents, like, you know, what are you guys going to do about this? And she was like, what do you mean? Like, that was exactly what should yeah. have happened. Yeah, we taught her but that. But then privately, she, she said her, her mom said to her dad, like, Bernie, don't. Hey, I'm just hey. telling the story about how you broke a kid's finger when you were in first grade. I mean, yeah, well, I was in second grade. You were in second grade. I've already <laughs> fucked up the story. Like sixth grade. Six, oh, I, I've double fucked better. up the story. And your and your mom said to your dad afterwards like you have to stop teaching her self defense. Yeah, because like for fun, my sister and I would like go in the backyard and like pendo sword fight and stuff. Yes. And these big stick swords that we would just—I mean, for us it was like, yay, we're like ninjas and like playing games. But yeah, my mom made us stop. <laughs> I love that you're telling the story while dressed like you're in your secret identity. <laughs> oh yeah, Lydia has glasses on and she's wearing a Sesame Place band t-shirt. <laughs> hey, we can harass this nerd. Yeah. Oh, no one's gonna. Oh, my finger. My fucking finger. What are you doing? <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> Just anyway, olden time villains. Thank you, sweetie. It's actually probably not a coincidence that one of your favorite uh, characters is Bender. Did you ever think about that? Because you bent people's yeah. fingers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a Futurama reference. Anyway, famous. your husband is working right now. Oh, I'm trying to fix our crops. We're going to have to decapitate Sully's head next week. Oh, no. The, Lydia, Lydia bought a Sully the, and a mic. The display. pilot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a good run. <laughs> Land this one. That seems like a... <laughs> Unfair. Yeah. Well, you know, we have to because of the south the Southwest flight. Like they, it's we have to give them Sully's head as a. Trophy. Those are the penalties. Yeah, I got it. It's a trophy. Like you totally know, get you, it. you are on top until someone else <laughs> lands a plane with a situation. <laughs> there could be, be only one great air, airplane yes, pilot. Yes, yes. So Sully got for it. a while was immortal, and now, I hope there's no other crashes that this new, someone else saves. Because this pilot. new lady, I don't want this her. new lady. Like, nice. she's, she's, de- she's right now. She's experiencing the quickening. <laughs> all right, and, all right. Uh, so I got it. Until another pilot is thawed out of ice, uh, played by Mario Van Peebles, <laughs> 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 she's gonna be on top for a while. 
<laughs> is Sean Connery going to coach her? I think he might. Oh, he might. Yes, he just might do that. I'm Russian. <laughs> That's it. I've lost the cure for cancer. <laughs> That's Sean Connery in the hunt for I Red October. I am the last dragon on this hunt for Red October. <laughs> By the way, have you ever seen The Last Dragon? It's an amazing movie. Not since it came out. I There's two movies I show. Oh, The Last Dragon, you mean the Kung Fu movie? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, of course. With yeah. Time Mac? Yeah, with Time Mac, of course. The Last Dragon is amazing because it has a great martial artist who's a horrible actor and then a horrible martial artist who's a great actor who's mm-hmm. the villain who showed Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, by the way, was on a sitcom for a while Dr. Matt Doctor, Frewer, yes. Who's on Timeless. No, we don't yeah! We did it. So, yeah, so that guy, Julius Carey, I think was his name. Yes. <clears throat> Who's also on Briscoe County Jr. He was very hard for me to watch as like a, like a doctor on Doctor Doctor because I was used to seeing like that Shogun of Harlem. Yes. Where it had the, the locks of hair. Yeah. And, the, and he just played like a kind of a nice nerdy doctor on Doctor Doctor. He was like a regular person just a on dude. there. Just a dude. He was like an actor taking a job. I've seen The Last Dragon more times than a person should have seen That's The Last amazing. Dragon. I love The Last Dragon. There's two movies I show whenever I would have pool parties at my own place, I would show The Last Dragon and The Warriors. Uh-huh. Yep. Those, are the, those are the two ones. And I, my favorite is Kiss My Con first. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Leroy! Yeah! Leroy! And I also love that they just had this little guy and his... his they tried to be very comic booky with it. His name was... Eddie Arcadian, Eddie and he Arcadian. was the arcade he king. He ran an arcade. He ran an arcade. Yes. What else could he have done? Just, that's the it, only thing. It wasn't... And it was like, we're gonna... Remember the, the, his girlfriend they had, and they would do the dance video. the music video. Yes. And I don't remember the song. I just remember it was like, we're going to pick down. Was it? They shared headlight, headlights. She had headlights tents. on the, yeah. She like, had the headlights we're going to break down. I don't remember that and it song. Was, it was, uh, great. was it Vanity who was in the? Vanity, yeah. Vanity, yeah. Teach me some moves at the end of the movie. Yes. Vanity's there, and he's like, you look like you're, you look Because he was still a virgin at that point. He was still a virgin. So yeah. he's at the end of the movie, it's the climax, and like, the party's going on, it's the dance, and he's yeah. like, teach me the moves. And they're like, what? Teach me the moves. like, what? And then all of a sudden he goes, down, teach me some moves. And then all the, and it goes, and then they laugh, and yeah. then the music gets soft, and, and then, then they, they had glow sex. Glow, <laughs> the glow, man. The glow. That was the best, man. I loved that movie. Who's the master? I am. <laughs> I am. When you got the glow, I'm there to know that you got the glow and you got the glow. Yep. Fucking great. Classic. Last Dragon. I got to watch it again. It's you know, great. Barry Gordy's Last Dragon. Barry Gordy's Last Dragon. Yes. yes. I remember <laughs> yeah. in the 1900s. Like Bram Stoker. He's like the Bram, Bram Stoker. He's the Bram Stoker <laughs> of uh, black kung fu movies. Yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, I, I ho- When I was doing Singled Out on MTV in the 1900s. Um, I remember that. Timac was a guest. Like we had a celebrity picker guest and Timac was on. And I was in. I, I, it was like one of the first people that I met. Where I was like, oh my god, I can't, I, you know, I was like, that was my, one of my first meetings of a fandom was meeting Timac. That's funny. Yeah. He was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> he was really nice. really nice. He was. He was really nice. He was great. Order your pizza from, order, Daddy Green's, d- direct your, your pizza, pizza to, to Daddy, Daddy Green's Pizza. pizza. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> It really was. Well, yeah, but I, I know I want to talk to you about blurred culture because sure. there was there was there were not a lot of there there really were not a lot of black icons no. in the sort of nerd world or even in the kung fu world. I mean, Barry Gordy's Last Dragon must have felt like 
like like a, a, a like a, a a fountain or like a El Dorado basically yeah. of discovering this. it was it was it was amazing and I think the creators talk about that how at the time there had not been a popular hero on that level popular martial arts I mean I'm not sure when like Jim Kelly came around and and all of that sort of thing but that was like the major thing and to have a big producer behind it and the music was awesome it was like super cool and the fact that it was like Bruce Leroy from Harlem like yes. it was like unapologetically black. Do you know what I mean? He's like, he's from Leroy. He's met, And then like to have all the characters just like, what the hell are you doing? Like, it was just like, <laughs> it was amazing. And then like the kid, his little brother kid who like, who, who gets out of the ropes he's tied, he's been kidnapped and he gets out of it by break, break dancing. Break <laughs> dancing. He like pop locks out of the ropes Let me and ask stuff you this. like that. Is, I feel like it's, uh, it's sort of a hybrid, but do you, but would you, Categorize the last dragon as black exploitation, or is it? Or is it not? Is it? Does it have elements of that, or not really? I feel like I feel like it's more grounded than most black exploitation. As hard to believe as a guy who says "kiss my converse." Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I've <laughs> and who has a glow? Who has a magical glow? glow yeah. at the end. But for the most part, it, it's all relatively like grounded. It's this kid who's just like super into martial arts, like takes it super seriously, like meditates, like you know, he doesn't really have a special power until the very end. And believing I mean? in himself is ultimately the power. That was it. That yeah. was that was really it. And like you recognize these neighborhoods and the fact that it was like. Converse sneakers. Like, it was just like a regular thing as opposed to like all the 70s, these were like superhero characters. Like, if it's like Dolomite or, or Shaft or, or even Jim Kelly, like, these were like larger than life characters. Right. You know, when they were in these movies, Pam Greer and all of that, they were like super larger than life. And it, it was a real specific time. And I feel like Last Dragon came after that because it was in the 80s. Do you know what I mean? Right. And, and so it had a little more influence of. What for me was modern culture at the time. And you know it was a I mean? feel good positive movie. It was very feel good. And it wasn't just like killing white dudes either. Right. <laughs> it wasn't just like, <laughs> which is what the 70s needed at the time. <laughs> Which is most black most black exploitation is I'm a fucking white woman I'm gonna kill you white dudes over there and I just shoot you. a bunch of white guys with mustaches and like <laughs> yeah. yellow tinted glasses yeah like they're all guns. racist yeah. <laughs> and I'm kill, I'm killing all of them <laughs> just so you know so let me ask you this then would you say well no I guess that's not true I, but I was I was explaining last night to Lydia uh, Lydia Dietz Lydia Dietz about how to get Beetlejuice uh, back. made the sequel the, the sequel. But um, the, there were all these suggestions on iTunes, and the, it was all the Char- all Charles Bronson movies. Because we were talking about Eli, yes. uh, Eli Roth's uh, Death Wish re- remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was explaining to her, like, well, Charles Bronson, because, you know, we watched the trailer for 10 to Midnight and all these Death Wish movies. And, and I said, you have to understand, Charles Bronson had a career, but it was completely reborn in the 70s because of Death Wish. He became... The vigilante guy yes. who basically just goes and fucking has a license to murder, murder everybody. everybody. It was white exploitation. Oh, it was it was kind of white. <laughs> that's why I was thinking about that when you're like, yeah, kill all the white dudes. Like, yeah, that's kind of what Charles Bronson yeah. was, was doing at the same time. He's just like just killing folks. Yeah, yeah. We both, we both like both cultures had a version of that. Yeah, of, of the people who could just have a license to just freely murder murder everyone, and you were okay with it. Yeah, you're like yeah, he needs to murder. That's exactly at, why at least forty eight people. I mean, I would. That's a, who wouldn't? He's a good guy. What choice? <laughs> Does he have what choice does he, he have? He has to have that mustache, and he has to kill fifty to seventy people. So what? Uh, because you because you grew up liking all of these types of things, and obviously you you there's you certainly weren't seeing black character like or it, very many black characters at all being portrayed. It, 
does, does that make you as a young kid go, well, someday I want to grow up and I want to create those characters or I want to make that happen? Or did it not occur to you because it was just like, well, this is just what it is? I think it was a little bit of both because I think you really notice when you finally see yourself. Like when you finally see yourself, you're like, oh, shit, there's no other black people who are like the leads right. of this or inside. Like I'm very aware like – now that I'm older, you know what I mean? Because I have more depth and breadth of like, you know, the scope of media, you know, like I know, like I'm like, I've played a lot of nerds in my, in my latter years. And like, I always think about that. I'm like, I'm probably the first like black nerd regular. That's like getting ass <laughs> like on TV. I was like, I was like, there was Urkel <laughs> and then there was me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Usually, because usually the nerd character for one is a side character. Carlton. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, they're Carlton or something like that. Um, but they're very rarely in the forefront. And Urkel was like going to be the side character up until he became the show. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, so I like, I'm very weird. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm like nerd. Like, I was on Better Off Ted and I was a nerd and like. I got booty, which is great on there. Like, it was thrown away. And then, like, I'm pretty sure I'm, like, the first black time traveler. <laughs> uh, <laughs> except for, like, there's a – I think there's a time travel show that – not a show, but a movie based on a book. Like, the travel – the something. I can't remember. But there was a black guy on the cover. I never saw the movie. <laughs> <laughs> there was – well, Time Stoppers? Time – Watch it. No, that's a that's clock, a violence clock campaign. Stoppers, time stoppers. Clock, clock I feel like stoppers. it's in there. It's Some, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. Stop in there. watchers. Stop top, watchers. Top that's the show. Clock. Stop clockers. Clock blockers. Clock blockers. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I almost got to fuck a clock. <laughs> yeah. And then you clock. I almost got to fuck time, and then I, I got clock blocks. Fuck time. Yeah, that's what it is. If you if you go back in time to try to have sex with people from history, and then someone stops you, you hey, got clock blocker. That's blocked. a clock blocker. But there, but uh, you know, Doctor Who had uh, certainly. What? Martha Jones was like the first Martha po- Yeah Martha jo- By the way So I used to be a, a, a Slam poet And uh, I have a whole I had a whole thing That like one of them Was like this Doctor Who thing And about really? Martha Jones That's great Oh yeah because I'm that cool Oh that's fantastic <laughs> though Yeah I had, a, I had a whole thing About Doctor Who and Martha Jones I have a I, have a, I always talk about this on Twitter I have a Doctor Who um, Piggy bank mm-hmm. That was given to me And one year My girlfriend uh, Put my face on a Doctor Who cake <sighs> Yeah It was it was Yeah So But yeah That was the first one And the weird thing about Doctor Who When you look at it Is he doesn't really do A lot of time traveling Like he He kind of does But it's like It's a lot of space Well they they they, they I feel like they do A decent job of Mixing it up So that it's like you know, one episode is they've traveled to the far reaches of space, and in the next episode they've gone back to meet Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, and yeah, episode, yeah. So they go forward a, a, a billion years. Yeah, exactly. Then, but yeah, there is a, especially in the in the latter in the in the later seasons, there was a lot of space travel. Yeah. Um. And uh. But it. it but and I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see the new series. I can't wait till it. Uh... Yeah, I, I, I'm interested, but but rarely have I seen. And I talk about this at ad nauseum, I'm sure. But like, rarely have I seen. Like, I'm a fan of all those sorts of sci-fi things, and rarely do I see me as a lead in any of that. You know, particularly in a time travel thing. If you look at like Bill and Ted's or something like that, right. or any of the, you know, because you have to address race, right. and like, no, no one really wants to do that. You know what I mean? Uh, some writers do, like these guys on on Timeless. So it's like. It's a very interesting thing, and so you wonder why people don't do it more, and I think people are just, like, afraid to deal with that. Like, they only want to deal with, like... Do you think it's getting better, though? Yeah, it's getting better. Like, everything's getting better. Like, I'm definitely, you know, blacks are getting beat by the cops less. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean in terms of... (laughs) Oh, in terms of media. Oh, in terms of comics. 
<laughs> when, of course, when you answer it that way, then I'm like, well, that was a really dumb question on my part. I was talking about are the parts getting better, but you're talking about humanity. No, yeah. You're talking about the much Let's larger humanity. humanity humanity part, no. which of course is the most important yeah. part. No, I think I, well, I think obviously it's getting very it's much better because we're also having more people behind the scenes, and I think invariably that what winds up being the force that pushes them in front of the scenes and having a whole picture. You know what I mean? I think it's it's easy to point to my show, to Black Panther, to, to um, a little more influence in this world. Uh, so it's cool. I think it's getting better. You know, look, even Deadpool 2s, you got, you know, Zazie. I can't remember her name, but she's playing Domino. And yeah. you got all these other characters. So I think it's it's definitely building. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think it's I think it's good when... The word black isn't the first one of the first descriptors yeah. of the characters. Like, yeah, you know, it's that it, it is incidental. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it works both ways, right? Because like Black Panther is black. Yes, right. Uh, but at the same time, like I've played a character where it's just like, like the way it works in scene breakdowns, right? If you ever audition for stuff, I'm talking not for you, but yep. for general yeah. people. Um, you know, sometimes they put race, and sometimes they put all race. Like sometimes they put um, any ethnicity, right? Um, and then sometimes they don't put anything, and then when they do want a black person, they say black. Right. So most mostly they just send in white people, and then, like, unless the writer goes, like, this guy's definitely a Negro. Right. <laughs> like, then they do it. <laughs> like, I knew in my career I had made it when I was auditioning for roles that didn't say black. Right. Like, I was like, oh, I, when they were, like, Vince Vaughn type. And I was like, I was like is that me? Is that, I'm in the spectrum for that? For the, double V? That's double fantastic. A v? This is yeah. excellent. You know what I mean? So it, it works different because also, like, you look at Sterling K. Brown, who talks about This Is Us, and he was like, they wrote that for a brother. You know what I mean? And it was like, it's one thing to have a role where it doesn't matter. It's another to be specific to your culture and who you are and be very specific about this is me. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Like, that was an interesting thing doing. This is probably boring. but No, 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 no. But that was an interesting thing doing theater, right? Because my background is all theater. I went to NYU, and it was all directing and acting and that sort of thing. And the interesting thing about it is that when you would do old work, you know, you do Chekhov or, or Mamet or, or, or Beckett or whoever the hell else. Um, just a couple names to let you know. <laughs> I went a couple to. hacks. Yeah. yeah. Couple Ibsen, of, who yeah, cares? Who cares? Bury this child. <laughs> um, so, so the interesting thing is that you do these old plays and it would be weird because you're like, what race am I in this play? Because if it's the 1700s or 1800s, like – I'm going to be treated completely different as a black person in right. that world. And so you wind up playing this sort of ambiguity of race, whereas a lot of times race culture is a factor in anything you do in your life. And so it's a very weird, ambiguous thing when you're not like reimagining a play where you're right. just like, if I'm in Three Sisters, I'm like, there's a black guy in Three Sisters? Like, <laughs> black guy in Russia? Like you want, you want the material and you want to challenge the material and you want because that's where the material is. But at the same time, you go like – how do I exist in this world? Like where, like where do I fit in? And and like, but I feel like theater place? would be more forgiving with with. I mean, like in terms of the audience not going, wait a minute. Like I think they understand that people play different roles, and it doesn't. I mean, I, I would. I I tend to think of the theater crowd as being more open minded. Yes, yes, but there's an ambiguity that's not specific that becomes weird, and that's. But but that's also in like theater class and theater studies. Like when you actually go see Uncle Vanya or Three Sisters, it's it's all white people, right? It's, with, Makes sense. Do you know what I mean? But it's different when you're like practicing and doing scene work, uh, you know, as a black dude or Asian or whoever the hell you are. And you're like, how does this work? But the theater is more forgiving because I think also 
theater, especially these days, is more intent on that. Do right. you know what I mean? They sit there and we go. We don't have to explain everything. Or they actually do adjust in some way, shape, or form. Like, you know, we're at the point where Shakespeare's been done so much that, you know, there are other versions of Othello where Othello's been black. I've been, I've been in a version of Othello where I was Iago, and, and it's sort of a new world, and you create these things that is very forgiving, and you don't immediately go, like, who's this and what's this? Well, especially life? if you're going to see, you know, like, if, if, someone, is, if someone is willing to say we're going to go be transported and when someone says they're holding an object that's not in their hand yeah, if you're yeah. willing to if you're willing to 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 accept that why wouldn't yeah. you accept that the characters could be any anyone yeah i, I agree chris i mean i <laughs> i don't understand why you're so racist malcolm <laughs> no I, I'm about to shoot 70 white men <laughs> in my Othello. My Othello's just Shaft. It's just Shaft, shaft on stage. Shaft Othello. Yeah, it's yeah. Shaft on stage, you know. But I was like, because I think that didn't that happen in was it Cursed Child? It was one of it was the Harry Potter play where they cast Hermione as black, and then people were like, wait a minute, which is when did they ever say? No one said that what her her race is never mentioned other than wizard or muggle. Yeah, well, and that one where it's just like. That definitely doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's, not a, it's not a real person. <laughs> like, yeah. that's a hundred. It's not like it's, you know, 1730s Russia yeah. and a family. Like, this is. I mean, I'm willing to say that I'll. I can accept that there is a school <laughs> built on a magical mountain with a half giant as a groundskeeper yeah, no, where these kids sense. are being taught magic, yeah. but she is definitely white. <laughs> what? <laughs> how, how do you. No, that's the only thing that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. There's a train station. They run through the wall. Blah yeah. blah blah. But yeah. uh, but uh, she's white, right? Uh, what is right? 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 I don't know why. They're, they're, uh, come on. Yeah, I, I, it's. It, I, I don't know what it is with people, and you see the same thing. But but I guess it's just the way that people want to, see, you know. And, and then you know, I would say to these people, like, hey, you know how you like to see yourself in a movie. Other people like that experience, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, and like you said, it is changing. Like, the last couple of top three movies at the box office have been, like, multi-ethnic or black casts or, or things like that. Um, besides Black Panther, you got fucking, what is it, Fast and Furious 1900? Yeah, Night Fight. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, I want to make that Fast and Furious. Just the an 70, all, a 70s night, Fast and Furious? You know 1800s. I want really slow cars. <laughs> steampunk steampunk <laughs> Fast like, and Furious? I want, I want them just having... Car races in Model T's. <laughs> like, they're jumping from Model T to Model T. Do you know what I mean? They've got to catch up with like a steam engine train. Fast and Furious <laughs> Opium Drift, where they're just <laughs> yes. like just grinding a fucking horse carriage across a cobblestone. I love it. They're slowly, slowly beating out the kid with a stick and the, and the, and the wheel. That olden time game of kids sticking wheel. <laughs> Everyone knows kids sticking wheel. Right? Everyone, what else was there to do back then no. besides get black lung or yeah. tuberculosis or whatever? Even, uh, have thirty-eight kids. Yeah, that's all you could do because hopefully one of them would survive. One of them's gonna yeah. live. Yeah, and I'll live to see two of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's gonna be a great time. She's gonna drive my Model T and not uh, smile in pictures. God damn it! If we had a sketch show, we would absolutely make a steampunk, a fucking steampunk, uh, Fast and Furious no, it's sketch. The yeah, I, I I really wish that uh, I I hope you continue 
to work as much as humanly possible so that you get to the point in your career where you can make these types of things. Oh, yeah. That you can manifest these types I can't of things. I can't wait. I can't wait. But it's also in space. <laughs> yeah, it has to be in space. <laughs> it's like it's, it's 1800s. But in space. Somehow. I don't know how that works. That is very Doctor Who-y, by the way. It like, is, right? Like, like a Victorian aesthetic yeah. in space. Is very you know what Doctor I loved? Uh, this is random, because that seems like what this show is. Uh, I was watching Children of Men. Children of Men, you know how they have that thing of, like, what are the four influential films that's happening on Twitter? Right, right. Children of Men was amazing to me, and this is why. It's one of the first movies that takes place in a future that's already existed for some time. Mm-hmm. Meaning... When you look at Back to the Future, um, Back to the Future 2, they're all futures where everything's super new and glossy. Right. Like every car was just bought that day. That theater was just made that day. All the clothes were just bought that day. Right. Children of Men was amazing to me because it was in the future, but it was old shitty cars from the future. Blade Runner too. Blade Runner. Blade Runner's like that too. Blade Runner's amazing. But for me, I was so young, I wasn't even thinking conceptually. Well, that that, that was the same for Star Wars. Like when Star Wars came out, it was this idea like... Oh, this old hunk, oh, yeah, of this junk. hunk of junk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Children of the Men was probably the first modern movie where I saw the future where it was like where that connection was made for me. Because right. he's where it's just like these pieces of shit, like all the cars are pieces of shit, the stores are built down, it's it's poor people, like you know, even the best neighborhood it's not super shiny. And so that was like a conceit that stuck with me. Like I remember directing um Sci-fi fest because I do a lot of theater, and I remember we did this thing. There was a future world and a and a future classroom, and I remember th- really wanting to stick with the idea of like, yes, this is the future, but like some kids are poor and some aren't, and so some of their clothes look good and some don't look as good, and yeah. maybe the screen works sometimes and it doesn't and, and glitches and that sort of thing was like so that always stuck with me as an aesthetic. And so what are your so since we're on the topic, what are your four movies? What are your four influential movies? All right, I wrote pull up. That. Pull up <laughs> <laughs> I literally was going over this the other day. Okay. Oh, well, now I can put Children of Men in there. Um, but the three that I – the other two that I'm going to stick with, I can't say – I don't know how I feel. But Dr. Strangelove mm-hmm. or How I Learned to Love the Bomb Without Worrying. Yep. Um, uh, Stanley Kubrick and I – Peter Sellers. I wanted to be Peter Sellers so much when I was growing up. Probably good that you weren't. He had a lot of mental issues. There were some issues and mm. I think there was uh, – I think he's offensive to Indians now. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was offensive to uh, maybe his immediate family. Yeah. I, there's all this stuff. He, you know. Yeah, there's all this stuff. But I, I super was like just uh, – that's why I wanted to be a character actor. Yeah. Partially because of Peter Sellers, uh, his ability to adapt. But Dr. Strangelove was amazing because it was a black and white – Comedy, but it was so dry. Yeah. Except except when it wasn't like when they did uh what was it George Wallet George C Scott, who was just like over the top. Who I think complained later about how he got pushed to be over the top and thought like those takes wouldn't be used. And of course that's the ones they yes. used. Um, but just amazing physicality all through that. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Who framed Roger Rabbit completely changed how I saw everything. Like you know, it's the first time I had seen really cartoons and and TV and and real life uh, blended. And also, I'm a big fan of not just breaking the fourth wall, but like these ideas of these other realities Mm -hmm. and and how that gets manipulated and not just a straight story. Like, I love a good straight story. I love a good talking head play. But to see like imaginations run wild in front of you was like this amazing thing. And I love – there's a joke that I do in real life that I stole from Roger Rabbit, which is – 
There's a scene. There's a scene where he's handcuffed and he's like trying to get away from uh, Bob Hoskinson's character throughout the movie, like while they're handcuffed. And then like Bob Hoskins is finally like trying to saw it away and saw it away. And then Roger takes his arm out. He's like, "Does that help?" <laughs> and he's <laughs> like, "You could, He was like, "Could you do that the whole time?" He was like, "Yeah, but it wasn't funny before." <laughs> and so like that's my go-to gag whenever I do something. Like I'm like, "Yeah, but it wasn't funny before." Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> like you know what I mean. So I think those are my top three. And then the rest are just like movies, I think. Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, yeah. Pacino. Dog Day Afternoon was amazing because I don't know what I knew of Pacino at the time that I saw that movie. But whatever Pacino I knew, I knew the overt Pacino. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Or at least The Godfather or whatever. And then so to see that – and I think that's Sidney Lumet, right? Um, To see him be so subtle and sensitive, do you know what I mean? And and the reveal that – his his love interest was was a cross dresser. I don't know what version of what you would say today, um, but to see it was was a transvestite. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert! For- oh man, <laughs> for Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, that's been on my queue for forty two years. <laughs> yeah. Shit, man, come on. Finally, I'm sorry. Oh, um, but it was just an amazing movie. Like speaking of Talking Heads, like I love Breaking Reality. But then the other thing I love is I love something that can just stay where it is. Like that whole movie takes place in a bank. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For like an hour and a half, two hours, and I was just so amazed because you need great actors and great cinematography and great direction to achieve. Fuck, I'm so jealous. Something like that. I'm jealous of your choices because. Because they there are there's a wide variety of, of types of movies and my four are all like comedies. Yeah, it's uh, Back to the Future. Yes, Ghostbusters, uh, Real Genius, and Groundhog Day. Okay, they're all just squarely uh, well, and then Fletch might have been in there too. Fletch lives. Fletch lives is a, Fletch an abomination. Lives. I- <laughs> Fletch lives should be white. If I had a flashy thing for Men in Black, I would it remove would the memory Fletch, from that film. Fletch? Fletch, amazing. You know, Fletch, is Fletch great. lives. No, I remember that too. My my Ghostbusters and Back to the Future are the top ones in there for comedies, and then I also go back to Coming to America, which it's fucking so holds up. Yeah. Whenever if it's on anything, yeah. I'll just stop and watch wherever it is. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. Like fuck you, yes America. <laughs> fuck you too. I, occasionally, like when I'm working on a sh- show, and if there's like a downtime for a second, I have a microphone. I'll start talking to the audience. I'll just start. I'll start going. I believe the children are future. And in almost every single time, someone, someone in the audience will go sexual chocolate. Yes. Like so, like it's the people. It's it is so ingrained in yeah. our culture that that movie is a fucking masterpiece. There's a rumor that they're remaking Coming to America. I don't know how they could. I mean, it's like I don't know how you can remake. You can't. I mean, you just can't. You can't. I don't. I just feel like don't. Let's go, <laughs> let, you know. Let's go back and make like. Don't redo the ones that worked. Like re- go, remake re- crappy movies. Yes, remake like Police Academy Four yes. or yeah. or Fletch Lives. Yeah. Remake Fletch Lives. Remake crap. Yes. Don't don't remake a really. Don't go like oh this was good. We should do that again. We should do that again. We We're should... gonna do it better. No, yeah. you're not gonna do it better. Yeah. No. You ju- you just can't do it better. What's a classic movie that you feel like Hollywood can't wait to remake? Um, like really close. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure like a Back to the Future is probably yeah, always they in wanna, there somewhere. They want to do like 2001 Odyssey. Like. <laughs> right, right, right. Or like, um, you know, well, I mean, they did do another version of The Shining. But, uh, you know, but there are some that are just so, so much a, a part of 
the time it's like there's there's a part of space time that they were that they yeah. were are nestled in that just made it work so perfectly and you just can't anything that happens accidentally like they just sort of that's why sequels are so can be so bad and i think that's why i hated fletch lives is because they accidentally made fletch like yeah. they accidentally made it just worked for the reasons that it worked and then they become aware of those reasons and then in the second one they start leaning into that and yeah. it's like oh it's not no, no you should have you know it's like why the the naked guns get less magical as they go on yeah because they cuz the first negative gun naked negative gun naked of gun <laughs> naked of gun naked of gun yes i am naked of gun um the first one should not have happened <laughs> do you know what i mean like you watch that movie and you're like how did like this? Who were they? The, my, the Zuckers, yeah. The, the Zuckers, Jim Abrams and, uh, yeah. and the Zuckers. I, I, I worked with one of the brothers on on a web series. Um, it's a hard it, airplane stands alone. Airplane, airplane's another one. Airplane is an amazing movie to me. I think because I love dry, absurdist humor. That's why Doctor Strange Love is on there. Like, and it's a movie I've watched. I've watched with my mom, and she's like. Mm. No. Not a fan. <laughs> like, but you have to – I mean part, part of the reason why a movie like that works or like Naked Gun works is because, you know, especially coming out all of the air disaster films of the mm. 70s, they watched meticulously every single one. I knew a guy who was a writer on Police Squad, yeah, which yeah. was the forerunner, but like, which was became – this is what led to Naked Gun. And he said, you know, we would just watch all these cop shows, exactly. s- study them and go – you know, but it, it's it's sort of like that – Picasso thing of like you have to understand the form before you can break Explode the form. It. And so they just understood it and they could see where all the jokes were and playing it so seriously without a wink to camera. Yes. And you have to – the thing is a genre has to be solid and exist in that moment for you to take it and flip it on itself right. like that. Right, Which is a hard – you can't just go, I'm going to do absurdist jokes. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like when Scary Movie came out, you know what I mean? And, and all these things were just like, oh, this is happening right on top of this. And then it just gets diluted with all these other versions right. of movie and disaster. So movie they're talking about coming to America. It's not. Are they going to do it with Eddie Murphy? No, I don't. I don't know. They were talking. I don't know how you do it because also like, I don't know what accent anyone was doing in that movie. So like, <laughs> <laughs> like everyone was doing like a general African it was accent. Just a general. Like James L. Jones wasn't doing like. An, I'm pretty sure he wasn't even doing an accent. He was just doing James L. Yeah, Jones. He was like, that's my son. <laughs> and you were like, oh yeah, that's African. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's from the part of Africa where James L. Jones is from. Yeah, like whereas like Semi and you know Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy, they were doing some sort of accent. They were doing comedy. I like. They were it, doing. It, they were, but I feel like it wasn't. It doesn't feel offensive. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like I feel like I listen to it today and I don't go like, oh, it's a fit. Like it's it's probably not accurate, but like. Well, they're sincere. Their performances are sincere. It's a very, it's a very you know. Hakeem, Hakeem is a great character because he's sort of the he's sort of SpongeBob in a way where he's eternally optimistic. Yes. He's incredibly smart. He's incredibly strong. But he but his his success doesn't rely on uh, it. Just it all relies on his perspective, no. his point of view, and and and. His optimism and his and, and his um, sensitivity to the world, like he's obviously he's a prince, but 
he really cares about people and he cares about yeah. the world. And so it is, it like, is, I mean, it is like it's comedy Wakanda, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. What was the name of the, the, the Zamunda? The, yeah, there was some yeah, Zamunda. Zamunda. So yeah. Zamunda. It's like a not real place. Not, a not real place, but, but a beautiful paradise. Yeah. And it, and, it was, and it was earned. Like you felt, you felt real. Uh, it's like sort of the anti Borat. <laughs> who is just like, he kind of like is doing whatever. But Borat's another great example of, you know, I think why, why the Sasha Baron, like why that was the biggest one. And when you look at all the characters, whether it's the, um, you know, um, oh, what's the, the photographer, the, the, the German, he did, uh, Bruno. Bruno. Yeah. yeah. So Bruno, you know, at the core of it, he's not really a nice, he's not a likable guy. Borat is so, again, it's the SpongeBob, um, it's sort of the SpongeBob uh, paradigm where he's, he's so full of innocence. And so you, you can't be offended by him because he's not out to hurt anybody. No, he's very sincere. It's just he's it's, extremely sincere. It's, all the misunderstandings are the fact that, uh, that he's trying to understand and he's trying to be empathetic. And that's where that's yeah. where all the mishaps happen. And I think it's sort of the same thing with Hakeem is that he's really like he's so full of life and joy, and yeah. uh, you know, and then every and then but just everything around him is is chaotic. Yeah, is incredibly real and chaotic. But also allow allows him to make a lot of comedic social satire. Mm-hmm. In, in a very safe environment so no one feels like, hey, he's really taking a shot. It's like it's all just yeah. part of the fun. Yeah. Like when he says, yes, America, fuck you too, <laughs> he's the idiot. Do you know what I mean? Because he doesn't – he thinks it's love. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like so you know, so then you suddenly go like, why am I an asshole that I'm like screaming at some foreign guy? Like, right. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like, oh. So it's – but my favorite line in that movie – I love the whole movie, but my favorite line is, uh, aside from the soup joke, mm-hmm. um, is, uh, your royal penis is clean, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that's my other, that's my other famous, uh, favorite. I, I love when McDowell says to the queen, and he's like, you want to try these pigs in a blanket? Now, they're the frozen kind, but you could never tell. But you'd never know it. That's what he says. You try these pigs in a blanket. They're the frozen kind, but you'd never know it. Like, it's such a... It's such an authentic thing yes. that someone would say who's trying to you impress know, a queen. He's in that kind of like upper middle class area where he's like, oh, he wants to be like he really he's trying to be super high yeah. end. And he's like, but you'd never know it. It was such a it was such a sincere. It's very, the, the, I think one of the reasons that movie works is because it's so sincere. It's it's like it's so earnest. Everybody in there, you know, except for Eric, Les, Eric LaSalle's in there. <laughs> yeah, with the, with the Jerry the curl, Jerry curls, with yeah. the intense Jerry curl, the glow. Oh, it's the it has a name too. The glow. Like, oh, like the so glow, so yeah. glow. Yeah. yeah, let your soul glow <laughs> when you got the glow. That you got the glow. It's very glow themed. It is very glow. Uh, my glow o- is coming back on Netflix. My other, <laughs> my other favorite seventies uh, commercial, black. Uh, <laughs> that's a real commercial. Is a uh, there's a it's it's um this like catalog of music like it's a bunch of brothers like black people not related uh people and they're, they're listening to music and it's like a catalog commercial and they go um he's like can can I borrow your your uh, disc and he goes no my brother you got to get your own <laughs> <laughs> I think my I think my uncle was part of that campaign or something like that do you remember like, the Mr Spriggs commercial no what's you know, that one it's the uh, the Mr Spriggs barbecue I think it's in Oklahoma somewhere but it's uh, it's online it's we when I used to do the show called Web Soup we used to play it all the time but it's uh um oh how does it start um Give me some of that, mm-mm, yeah, meat falls off the bone, baby, I'm hungry, I said, baby, you hungry, then come to Mr. Spriggs and get us some ribs, 1017 South Air Depot. 
I need that S-P-R-I-G-G-S, Mr. Spriggs Barbecue. It's the fucking greatest, catchiest song for a local barbecue joint. Someone just made $48. (laughs) (laughs) I have to write a check. That's where they're really making that To money. Bobby Spriggs. Yeah, to- <laughs> they're just all the royalties from all the Mr. Spriggs. Okay, so you got... So, I, I, yeah, I would... I, you know, coming to America, I would have to say, was very influential to me as well. And it, and it just... I mean, it is a, it's a really kind of a perfect comedy. It's perfect. it's perfect. Eddie Murphy is who I grew up like. Once I knew I wanted to do entertainment in some form or fashion, he was like definitely... The person he is so like. mind-blowingly talented, but beyond I think what anyone who, who with just a casual knowledge of him would understand. I mean, you know, breakout cast member on SNL. Uh, Forty Eight Hours is a fucking incredible movie. His first five six movies are blockbusters. Yeah, like, I think first ten maybe. Like Forty Eight Hours, like, Beverly, Beverly Hills, Hills Cop, Cop, Coming to America, like all of the movies he made, and they they all had sequels. Like he was just making like a hundred million at the box office. Like and he and yes, he has some movies that didn't work, but then but where he but where, his, where I think a lot of his genius really lies is that he is such an and obviously I can understand Boomerang was really fun too. Boomerang was great too. So I can understand because he's handsome that he would be lead. But I think where he really shines is as a character. He is a fucking phenomenal. Like, Bowfinger. Is, Bowfinger. I was about to bring up Bowfinger. Is what, his performance in Bowfinger is one of the. It was like Oscar worthy. Yes, I think. So. I think honestly. Oh, oh heavenly God, heavenly God. Yeah, it's so because it could be ridiculous and unbelievable, but he's grounded. He's so grounded. Like when he first see breasts. Yeah, <laughs> and he's just like making this face, and he's got a retainer, and he's just he's so apologetic, and also like. You had never seen Eddie Murphy be like that before that movie. Right. Before that movie, he was always the alpha, you know, in any given movie, even though he played so many different characters. And he even gets to play like an exaggerated version of the of his, alpha. Yeah. And he gets plays in that movie. He plays himself. He, yeah. He basically plays an exaggerated version of himself. Like, bring me, what, what is this? Bring me, how am I supposed to win an Oscar? Bring, <laughs> bring me the uh, Oscar to Wonder Slave. That's how I get an Oscar. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> He wants to play like a special needs slave. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, and even in Nutty Professor, he's fucking great. He Nutty just, Professor's go- amazing. He just disappears into the characters. And so, you know, what I always wanted to see from him is, of course, because he gives a shit, but it's just <laughs> more of that, like, you know, just go be weird characters and stuff for a while just because you're he's so fucking great. He's incredibly at it. talented. I think well and then I think he he what happened with him is like he became a dad. You know what I mean? And so like I think the last comedy where he like cursed was Life mm-hmm. with like Martin Lawrence. Or no, Tower Heist, uh with Ben Stiller. I clearly am a Eddie. <laughs> I've just I've just named the last two movies he cursed in. Did you <laughs> Did you ever see his early stand up? Yeah. So when he was like 19, he did a young comedian special and it was really interesting because he didn't necessarily have like a full set. But when you go back and look at the material that he did on that special, it it would kind of make you go, oh, ow, that's a bummer that he – because he does a bit about um, – uh, he talks about like why the palms of his hands are light. And yeah, he said, yeah. Because when God was spray painting us, our hands were, were yes, like this. Yes, yes, So he yes. does that joke. And then he does this thing, and it goes on for a long period of time, where he gets the audience to shout the N-word at him. And, it's, and, he, and he kind of plays off their anticipation. And it's never really a joke. And then they all do it. And 
when you go back and watch, you just feel like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I feel good about that. <laughs> yeah, it just feels, it feels very strange. I love that. That's, I think that's back when he used to like wear suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wore these like, cool. He these, would wear freaking these suits. slender like Mad Men style yeah, suits. But this was before SNL. This was like eighteen, yeah, nineteen yeah, years old. Way before that. That's back when he was like idolizing Richard Pryor, who right. also would like do the suit thing, and yeah. which was like very common until like. Motherfuckers changed the game and was just like, you know what? Leather. <laughs> I need red leather. How does Michael Jackson dress? I want to go with that. Kind of like that. <laughs> I, want, I want that, but like for comedy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to look like I get laid. Though. I did red the last time. Let's do blue this time. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it. I'll wear gloves. You know what? I'm going to wear gloves. Let's wear, let me wear driving gloves. <laughs> let me just wear motorcycle gloves. <laughs> Can I do that? You know you're going to sweat really bad. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. You're, you're on for like at least an hour. I am going to burn this the second I'm done with it. I don't care. I don't care. I love that there are leather outfits that he turned down. Like, he was like, oh, no, that's... <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's gaudy. Come on. Why would you <laughs> even... Was... Yellow? What? Yeah. Am I a fucking banana? Come on. What what's, is this? What's great is there's a scene in Beverly Hills Cop where two guys walk by, one kind of dressed like Michael Jackson in the red and black. Yeah, I remember that. Which is kind of meta, because, like, later on... I've Or, no, earlier on, right? Because that would have been before... Uh, Beverly Hills Cop would have been after the specials. It would have been after Raw. It would have been after... Uh, Delirious and Delirious, Raw. yeah. So yeah. he's definitely laughing at an outfit that he wore on stage. I think... I think... Um, I think Beverly Hills Cop was in between Delirious and Raw. I think Delirious okay. was first, and then Beverly Hills Cop happened, and I think Raw was after that. Because I remember that's when... You would go see a concert movie. Yeah. I saw Raw in the movie theater. Yeah. And I watched Delirious, you know, 150 times on VHS. Yeah. But, uh, but it was, uh, it was just, it was such a, it was such a different time. But I just, I love that every character, like Axel Foley, he could play a totally real grounded guy or he could play a ridiculous character and he has a great voice. Yeah. Uh, Party all the time, Rick James. I mean, <laughs> he made that, a song with Rick he, James. He did, yeah. I, I remember that came out. I kept, I my brain didn't understand that comics didn't always have to be comics. Mm-hmm. So I was all, I just kept waiting for the joke of it, and it, <laughs> and it didn't happen. I think didn't a have, lot of people were yeah. waiting for the joke of it. I think a lot of people were like, okay, but if you could, do but it was like a hit. Though. Yeah, it was a big hit. I'm I'm just old enough and just young enough to wear. Since we're just speaking about comics. Um, where I, <laughs> I feel like an old freaking man. Where I listened to Red Fox, mm-hmm. I feel like it was CD, but it might have been record. But I remember listening to that at home, like not wanting my mom to be around while I listened to this like foul mouthed comic, right? Tell these like great stories. Um, I don't have a follow up, no, but he, <laughs> but but he really, yeah, and it, that his comedy, my I remember my dad saw him in Vegas once. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he opened his show with like shit pee pee doo doo. If anybody has any problem with any of those words, get the fuck out. Yeah, you know. And it would that it just set the bar yeah. for like what he was gonna do. Well, I remember he has this great story talking about how Bill Cosby had called him to be like, hey, I need you to curse less and do all of this and blah blah blah. And he was like complaining to Richard Pryor about that. He was like, he made it seem like I just go like shit fuck suck my cock. Thank you. Good night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember that. Was yeah. Eddie Murphy. That was in Raw. Yeah, yeah. And like it's such a you know how ironic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know, you know what's what is crazy to me about that is that I actually let a lot. I you know, and I still beat myself up a bit, but I would I beat myself up a long time because of that Bill Cosby story from Raw. Because I'm like, I sh- I should curse less too. Bill Cosby's right. He did a whole thing, <laughs> you know. And then we found out he's like one of the biggest serial monsters yeah. in the history, and you're like. Fuck 
tried to swear less because of you. Yeah. And that's what you were doing? Double fuck. Fuck. Yeah, yeah man. Was, you know, it was so. Yeah. And I also came from the school of like, I remember hearing someone say like, cursing means you're not as intelligent. And I remember holding on to that so much and doubling down on my profanity. <laughs> like, But like doubling down on like trying to use it smart, particularly when I was like, doing like spoken words you know well that's the key what you just said is the exact key is that when you're young you don't understand the nuance between when it's powerful and 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 called for and when you're just using it as filler to get a reaction because Mm -hmm. you're insecure about your material so if you just throw a fuck in there people are going to react to it that's when it's not being used properly but you know yeah so with spoken word or with slam poetry that is an incredible art to me because you can't Mince it like you have to use the exact words that you need. The economy of your words, basically, you're you're creating like a spell. Like it has to be exactly what it should be to work. Yeah. So you can't just use like you can't in the middle go. Uh. Well, I mean, you no, know, like no. there's no filler. It was very. I remember, like I remember when I wrote because someone said it. And I was like, it's like I'm trying to understand this, but fuck, I'm still trying to get rid of this penicillin and riddled, riddled adrenaline. And it's like, oh, I can say fuck because I follow it. <laughs> <laughs> like, penicillin riddled adrenaline. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. with all these other words, they're like, okay, <laughs> I guess. And like it was such a when I was like 18, 19 years old, I would do spoken word and I'd do it in classrooms and. And um, like not my, like I'd go to other schools and stuff like that. And I remember they were like, "Don't censor yourself." And I was like, "This is amazing! I get to fucking curse in front of kids." Yeah, like, like this is the shit, you know. Um, but it's very freeing. It it is a thing of like how smartly you use it. Like I also was like such a mama's boy when I was a kid. I remember, I remember when uh, I was on a playground and some kid said something about my mom. I was probably like nine or ten, and I was like. Fuck you! <laughs> I was such a mama's boy that I remember going home and being like, Mom, she's like, yeah, I said a few to a kid, but it's because he said something about you. And she was like, okay, that's okay. Aww, <laughs> like, that's so sweet. Oh, my God. But who wasn't? You know, like that was, you couldn't say anything about anyone's mom. No. No. My mom didn't let me say funk. Because <laughs> it sounded like fuck. Like to this day, I can barely curse around my mom unless it's on stage. There's a rule in my family: you can do what you want as long as it's funny, right? Like as long as it's good. Like you can't just like helter skelter. Like I remember I did a play where I played an inmate. This was in high school. I played like an inmate on on his dying day, um, and he smokes. There's one or two curses in it. Blah blah blah. And at the end of the play, this is high school. At the end of the play, my mom's in the audience. Everyone's clapping. She stands up. She's clapping. And then it claps down and down. She's like, now let the people know you don't really smoke. <laughs> that must have killed. That must have killed. Yes. killed. My mom kills. <laughs> well, that's what's funny about moms is that you, you, when you were a kid, you could say like, oh, my mom's being such a bitch. But if someone said your mom's a bitch, you'd be like, what the fuck? Did you do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't talk about me. Exactly. But she's my mom. I can say what exactly. I want about my mom. Yeah. I think I get most of my comedy from my mom. My mom has a great – my mom wound up uh, taking care of, like, um, like old folks and stuff and being a sort of nurse and whatever. And, um, and I remember she was like, you know, I was with Mrs. Johnson or whoever and, you know, we got to bathe her and I got to wipe her down and do and all this. And I just remember, this is the most pussy I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Of all the things, of all the directions 
my mind might have thought that was yeah. that, that was not no. on the, that was not on the docket anywhere. Do you see how fucking funny she is? <laughs> <laughs> like she's she set you up with the caregiver stuff, you know. But the and you know the the unfortunate thing is that you can't really duplicate that because you have to be her for that to to land so beautifully. You do. You have to be a sixty year old woman. Who doesn't let you say fuck? Wiping down elderly people. The most pussy I've seen in my life. Maybe your mom is in the next coming to America. She is. She might be. She should be. Your mom should be the next coming to America. Solid. By the way, I mean, I know you're. I know. I know you're on a hit NBC show, Timeless. But hit-ish. You're also great on Preacher. Oh, thank you, man. You're really funny on Preacher. Thank you. The stuff between you and Julianne, and Julianne Emery is so fantastic. I, and she's great, too. Julianne is one of my favorite actresses to work with. She's completely committed. Like She has a backstory for absolutely everything that happens to her character. Um, and I do, too. It's a, really, it's a really weird... It's my first time playing a comic book uh, character, which I'm, I was excited to play. I actually auditioned for it near the end of shooting Timeless the first season. And I thought, I'm not going to get it because I'm on a freaking show already. Um, but luckily, like, the schedules worked out. They're both Sony and whatever else. And so I got <laughs> the first year, the first year that I did it, I, if you look at the comic books, he has, like, tuft of hair on the top of his mm-hmm. head. And I couldn't really do that. So I was, like, committed to character, man. I love this stuff. So I got a crew cut um, that I would have to wear around. Um <laughs> New Orleans, because we shoot in New Orleans. So I'm, I would have this crew cut around, and I'm friends with like the cast of Queen Sugar. Mm-hmm. So I've got, I'm with all these black folks with really great haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> like, just solid lineups, waves going for days, yeah, like really great. You're the outlier. I was a huge outlier. Like, it's just Hat City all day <laughs> for your boy. And then I realized, like, no one really gave a shit. Like, when I watched the, the show, no one was like, oh, cool crew cut. Like, <laughs> Totally makes sense. Like no one noticed, um, but it's a fun, it's a fun, absurd show. All I wear is white suits, and me and her are separated a lot more this season. Um, and some crazy stuff is going to happen. Um, it's it's really great. I I loved it when I first saw a commercial for it. I wanted to watch that series immediately. I was like, it's right down my alley. It's it's dark humor. It's based on a comic book. There's violence. Um, you know, it's a little absurdist. I, I like loved it. So when I got the chance to audition, I like I binge watched the entire first season, and then I just looked up Hoover is wherever I could on the internet. I just saw panels and sort of things like that, and was just like, okay, this is who this character is. This is who it is. And then after I got the part, I read through the entire comic book series. Um, and it was crazy, because I was talking to one of the writers, and I was like, she was like, the reason you got this is, because I was telling her, I was like, the character's been more comedic than I thought it would be. And I was telling her, I was like, I didn't know it was supposed to be funny at all. And she was like, that's probably why you got it. Oh. <laughs> I was like, because I was like, not, I was like completely sincere in all of it. And they were like, they were like, that's why you got it. That, and like, they were like, everyone else played it a little more arrogant, a little more confident, or something like that. And I was like, I don't know how they got that from, <laughs> from this character. It was yeah. like clearly a beta, you know what I mean, on there. So it's been crazy. Like, Joe, 
Joe, who's the vampire on there? Joe Gilgan. Joe Gilgan. Yeah, it's Joe Gilgan, Dominic Cooper, Ruth Nega. Um, Pip Torrens, who plays... Oh, uh, he's so great. As Aristar, he is pitch... He is exactly what I saw when I read the comic. When I, re- when I saw the comic, and like... That's been the interesting thing about joining it in its second season. The first season was the precursor to the comic. Right. Which I think, in my opinion, I think you needed. Because when I read the comic, I thought I was reading it wrong. I thought I was reading it out as series because the comic starts with the three of them in a diner talking. Right. And he, then they're going they're going and then to they're find all, God. And they're already going to find God and like he's already a vampire and like he's already like an Irish vampire and yeah. all of it. And like when I read it, I was like, am I reading it out of order or like what's happening? So I really do feel like you needed that first season to establish it. And also <clears throat> I think they needed a season to like find the tone of the show too uh, because season two – one of my favorite things about that show is that as crazy on paper as everything is, like, oh, there's this preacher and he has this 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 angel demon in him and he's trying to find God. And then, you know, he's got this kick-ass girlfriend and then also an Irish vampire for a best friend. And then there's all these spies and all this weird religious – on paper it seems crazy, but somehow it's – it's so weirdly grounded. Like the performance, I guess it's maybe the performances and also the writing. It's like that it just tethers it into a place where all of that stuff is bonus material to the story. And it's very additive to the story, but it's not like, we got a crazy vampire. No. And then we got this guy. And then we got this no. lady. Well, it, also the difference between how I would describe the show when I first joined the show and how I describe it now, like, it's like you said, it's the grounding. Like now I describe it very simplistically. I'm like, it's a preacher with a dark power. He's got a vampire best friend, um, a criminal girlfriend, and I play a secret organization that's trying to make him the new messiah. Mm-hmm. When I used to say it before, it was just like, okay, um, <laughs> it's sort of like a Western, but like it's a comic book. And then like, so God and Jesus, okay, not Jesus, but like the descendant of Jesus, okay, not really, but yeah. like, <laughs> like on, because this... once you say it out loud, it's preposterous. It is, yeah. It's preposterous. Posterous, yeah. like Urstar, he's got a head like a penis, <laughs> and like all of this sort of stuff, and into masochist and all this, and it's like it's a lot. Like I play a crypto fascist organization that's trying to take over the world and all of this sort of stuff, and it's just like that's a lot. That's like a lot. I'm for just, I'm glad the show's coming back, and I'm sure it's one of those shows. Even Seth Seth Rogen, because Seth and Evan brought it to, they're the ones that got it made at AMC, and they direct they've directed episodes, yeah. and they're. But, you know, they, even they were like, we never thought that anyone would ever do this show. We never thought this show would get made. Uh, and I'm just glad that it did. And I'm glad that it's coming back. It is. It's great. I only – it's – I'm so pissed. I only ever see uh, Seth on, like, promotional things. Yeah. So I'm always just, like, trying to smoke with him. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> – like, I feel like that's everyone's goal when they first just to get near him. him. Yeah, it's just like, I love doing it. Do you want to smoke? <laughs> just uh, you just start doing it, get a little closer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is, was, is that cool? Um, I'm but, curious. That I, I want to know who. Just going back a little bit to the earlier conversation where when we were talking about like you know how difficult it was to find characters that you could see yourself as. Mm-hmm. Do you remember who the first who was that first character that you finally felt? Uh-huh. Oh my god! I can't believe there was a I, I existed before this. You know, it's funny. Uh, one of the first characters, and it's like, and it's because it's so grounded, at least for me, was Dougie Doug. Oh, really? Dougie Doug had a TV show. I remember it. 
um, about living in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And it was the first show I had seen. Like, I was like, that's my neighborhood. It's just like me and a couple dudes like me. And we're just like getting through the day and like having fun. And it's not, it's not like, it's not shootouts. Like, it's not South Central. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not Minutes to Society. Like, it's just, and it's not the Cosby show either to bring back Cosby. Like, right. Cosby was a weird show for me because I was like, that's not. I, I didn't see me that like I saw a black family. Right. But I didn't see me. Right. You know what I mean? But Dougie Doug was the first one because it was like it took place in Brooklyn and he was just a neighborhood kid who was kind of funny, you know what I mean? And like kind of confident, but kind of like, you know, not great with girls. And I was like, no, that's that's exactly who I am. Um and and so yeah, I remember later on writing when I became a started writing more, I remember writing a character because then Dougie Doug was on a show called Hilton, mm-hmm. uh, or actually it was Cosby, but they call but but he played a character named Hilton because like when you're that famous you do that like right. I don't know if you remember Eve had a show but I don't think she played Eve she was like Dana right they called it Eve <laughs> but I remember writing a, a scene where it was like because Dougie Doug was like on on the show and I remember and he was kind of oblivious and I remember writing a silent scene. Where it's just where I was kind of like some orphan kid who um, was in the room, was in the kitchen with Dougie Doug while Dougie Doug was making a sandwich. And we were just like, he's like sort of tired and not noticing and we're both making sandwiches at the same time. But he like, but we don't notice each other, but we're kind of helping each other at the same time. Like he's opening the fridge, I'm taking out cheese and he's taking out cheese and then we're helping each other. Because I was big in a like silent comedy. Right. And I like wrote a whole scene. I was just me and Dougie Doug making a sandwich early in the morning and like that was like my inspiration because I'm also a big fan of like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and all these sort of things so like I don't know I think my whole entertainment like my whole way my whole process has been a comedian uh, or a, a student of comedy right do you know what I mean so I like take from all these things to try and create something that I think is smart and funny or amusing to me and what what's your take on because I, I think it Sometimes it can be dangerous to look back at comedy with current eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I said, like in, you know, when Eddie Murphy was performing and he has a room full of white people scream the N-word at him, yeah. and I just bristle at it. It's like, ah, this yeah. feels weird. I don't know. It doesn't feel right. There's that conversation happening with like the problem with Apu, mm-hmm. right? Where um which I was really disappointed in The Simpsons with the way they addressed it. I really was too. I, I and, just, and I I actually talked to Hari about it because he was on the podcast and you know, like you, I'm. I've been a lifelong Simpsons fan, but I think that things need to evolve. Like, like culture has evolved. We need to evolve, and and it's like the fact that it was Lisa is heartbreaking. The fact that it was Lisa was such character assassination. Yeah, it really was. It was because Lisa has never taken that vantage point ever. 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 She's always the voice of like who's underrepresented. She's the she's super leftist. She's for cows. They bring up the, you know, they she's the, doesn't want to eat meat. She's right. the sensitive one. She's sensitive to everybody. Right. That's who she is. Yeah. So to have her break the fourth wall. To basically say, like, we're gonna say, take our most you. sensitive character and tell you to go. And and, I just thought that was ridiculously disappointing. And the other thing it doesn't acknowledge is that. Oh, something that was looked on as good that's suddenly not that's suddenly out of favor. What you discount is 
did you talk to Indians about Abu during right. that time when that started? Because I think what you're saying is the white people you talked to <laughs> right. didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, this. it's usually the people who are in no way affected <laughs> yeah. by it all. What's the problem? Well, it's not your problem, yeah. obviously. Or they act like it's new act like it's a new thing. We're just like, no, we had problems before, we just didn't have a voice right. before. Like, you know, we didn't have this many prominent Indians able to speak about things. I think it you know, and I, I really do think it boils down to uh uh, and and I and I legitimately feel this way. I'm not being pandery for anyone who's like, oh, you're just trying to fucking get woke points. No, <laughs> it's just I've talked to so many people, and, and it's, you know, it, I saw Shonda Rhimes speak at something, and and she was like, I don't want to. Basically, she said, this is the last time I'm going to answer why the diversity is important question. Yeah, and it, so when you hear people tell their stories, or when you hear like Hari told his story of like, and you saying like, I didn't have. Everyone deserves to have people that they can look up to, to aspire to, to achieve greatness. Everyone, every kid deserves that. So wh- how, why is it hard to imagine that like, well, you should, they should only see, and if you don't like that, you're fucking, it's yeah. like, everyone does, every kid deserves that chance. I, I don't get pushing back. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because that thing that you things. don't have to watch if it doesn't yeah. speak to you exi- like why why can't it exist? No, it's 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 a it's a it's a weird it's a weird I think it's weird when you're white and you're like I can't believe we want a plethora of non-white people in any given environment. Right. <laughs> like that just seems like maybe you should like rethink <laughs> stuff. Well, I think sometimes I think sometimes it's hard for for people who have attached their no one i think most almost no one would want to think that they're an asshole yeah everyone is kind of the hero of their own story right and that's just sort of how our brains work i think and so for people to look at the simpsons and say you know what yes i was fine with a poo before i kind of understood what the larger implications were and i'm not now yeah that forces them to be introspective and to also say like hey maybe i was on board with a thing that wasn't super cool and then it kind of forces them to reassess what their values are and most people don't want to do that and again if you say like well so fucking what it's like yeah no it doesn't it just doesn't affect you that's right it doesn't affect you yeah but maybe it affects these other people and maybe it's not terrible to be empathetic to other people you know (laughs) maybe it's not the worst thing in the world (laughs) maybe it's not maybe it's not i think i think the thinking is that like I don't know what the th- I don't know what the th- they think. I think they think the product's going to be worse. They're like, oh, all of a sudden it's going to be shoehorned in that like, ah, oh, now you're forcing me to watch well, this thing, which is just- which is crazy because it's like, look, I watched Friends for years. My New York had black people, right? <laughs> like, right. and not and not airplane hangar sized apartments. Yeah. Uh, with people who didn't have like like jobless Wall mansion Street job, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Joey Trippi- Joey was Tribbiani was a fucking out of work actor, actor, and he had bedrooms in his apartment. By the way, his bed is better than mine. I'm a more successful actor <laughs> by a lot. Than Joey Tribbiani. <laughs> this place is so much better than my current apartment, which is better than my last. But The Simpsons is an interesting. Um, it's an interesting social experiment in the sense that how many things do we have that go for 30 years? Mm-hmm. You know, besides SNL, which, you know, evolves. Con- which evolves constantly. constantly. It's constantly changing. But The Simpsons, you know, it's, it's, it's a very insulated. It, this, this thing kind of was the first time that I. Uh, and, and I've never been on board. You know, people. I mean, I still think the best Simpsons seasons were like 
three to nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was the real sweet spot of The Simpsons because they were really doing a different stuff on television than had ever been done before. And a lot of comedy is derivative of like those six seasons of the show. However, um, it was the first time where I sort of felt like it's like an old person and it doesn't – it's not fresh anymore and it's no. not – it doesn't have that kind of young mind where it's it's kind of shitting on something – that it would have been on the side of like 20, oh, 20 years ago. And, uh, and yeah, yeah. That's but like you, me out you too. left Canon to be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like you went specifically out of there. But it is that sort of thing, which it is very specific because like the idea behind cartoons is that they are insular. They've been wearing the same clothes for 30 years. They've right. been nine for <laughs> like 28 years. Right. So there is a part that you – that stays in in its own bubble. And it's interesting, like, I thought the Simpsons movie was interesting because it's totally different than, like, a South Park. Right. South Park trades in being – in offending sensibilities, in being current, in being ahead of the curve, in um, skewering current events sooner than anyone else would. Right. They do not believe in too soon. Right. Um, whereas the Simpsons had this way of dealing with things without actually talking about a major event that was happening at that time. Right. Necessarily. It wouldn't immediately go like, oh, Michael Jackson got burned in a Pepsi commercial. Let's do, let's do a thing about right. that. Like that wasn't where they were. You know, when they brought up Michael Jackson, it was like him as the voice of like a mental patient. Right. Like a, a fat white guy. Yeah. Thing. And like that was so interesting because – that was no one's take right. on Michael Jackson. That wasn't how anyone wanted to use Michael Jackson in any way, shape, or form. And so to see that, you know, when we skewer these pop stars, we, we like skewer them. Prince and Michael Jackson, we do all these ridiculous things to them. And they were never about that. You know what I mean? They were never about like trying to make people look like total assholes or anything like that. Um, it was very insular. And so seeing it evolve, like I don't know the last Simpsons episode I watched – um, but that clip didn't encourage me to go back, <laughs> back <laughs> and watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but it's I, a, it's I mean, a hard thing see. to maintain. It's a it's a hard thing. It, it is. It it is. But it, it it. But hearing you talk about South Park too brings me back to what we kind of what we almost initially started talking about was that when I saw the Deadpool two trailer, mm-hmm. it made me think. I can see the future of this franchise as sort of being a cinematic version of South Park, where it allows them. To comment on the state of this genre each time they make another movie, and I felt completely okay with that. And, and to me, it sort of felt like, oh, I could see them making a ton of these now because of because yeah. Of well, and I think the idea behind anything, particularly if you're skewering, if you're pop culture worthy, um, is growing. Yeah. Right. At, at the end of the day, you have to grow, and that's what's going to make you relevant. Like, I, like you said, I can see a Deadpool movie where the state of superhero movies is in, is in such a different state where they make a very calm movie. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And it's still Deadpool because of like this is the state of where things are. Like the same way you say with Airplane, where it's just like this is where disaster movies were. So this is why Airplane made sense. Like. Um, there are moments. It's being in a moment. It's yeah, being in the moment. like Police Squad works because we had been built off of of TJ Hooker and and Police Woman <laughs> and all, and all these other you know shows at the time. Where it's just like it makes sense. The same reason that um, Rashida Jones's show, uh, where Angie Tribeca, where, yeah. where, you know, or or Children's Hospital, um, they all work because you've seen a genre of show, and it can only work for so long existing in that way because the genre. Uh, right. Evolves. Right. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's the key of if you're doing parody, if you're doing anything that like 
has this next level reflects on society. You have to grow and evolve as much as society does. Yeah. Well, I have to say, as we're winding this down, first of all, you are the last dragon. You have the power. You possess the power of the glow. Uh, and can't you teach me some moves? <laughs> <laughs> Classic. I, I hope you. Classic. Uh, I hope you. You're definitely the type of performer who I could see. Uh, like, oh yeah, Malcolm just wrote and directed a movie. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Just a thing yeah. he just did in his free time. Yeah. But I hope I hope that you really explore every creative avenue that's that's in your soul. I I am man. It's what's funny is literally today I'm go, I have a theater company, ammotheater dot com. Yep. Not the. The dot com part is not the name of the theater. <laughs> That'd be really weird. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. We so only... it's dot com dot com? Yeah, 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 yeah. We only do online plays. Uh... <laughs> so like YouTube movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like a play. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You get it. So like a YouTube video play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're YouTube. <laughs> you bought YouTube? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just kicked it. I bought YouTube. It. it was really easy. It's not hard. No, it's not hard at all. Um, I own the internet. <laughs> um, but literally, I just, I'm, I'm in a play tonight, um, The Tragedy, which is written by a friend of mine. So we do theater all throughout the year. And I recently wrote a play um, about a good friend of mine who has AVM, which is arterial ventricle malformation. Um because I come from writing as well, and I think I will we'll probably hopefully produce it next year. Um, but yeah, so I'm doing that pitching thing, which is great. I basically play him, and I basically use all his brain problems, which is the name of the play, <laughs> to uh, break the fourth wall and play with the audience and do all these like sort of weird-esque things. That's really cool. Yeah. And I directed something with my friend, Tina Wong, who's also in a company called Wedlocked. So I think I'm like just starting to get into the... like feasible version of this like there's the stuff that you do that like your management doesn't want <laughs> and i think i'm just getting into the stuff like that they may want to be able to sell but this business is weird because they i had an idea where i, p- I pitched a show where i'm a detective and like did a sizzle reel wrote that wrote the full-on pilot this whole thing they were getting it had notes went away from it came back and it was like they were like okay and you know you know when you pitch you want to pitch like three ideas right so i'd been pitching that then whatever then i went in they had they finally were like hey we want you to meet this guy this writer guy to do this or not this writer but this guy who represents it does this and i go and i pitch him the the first idea this reggie max idea and he's like okay cool and then as a secondary idea for a cartoon i pitch him this thing which was basically this mock poster i made with my friend that we were in a picture of that I just put a fake thing under that said Fedora and Dora. Mm-hmm. The only haberdashery they wear is justice. <laughs> and I showed him that and he was like, I think we're gonna meet Comedy Central tomorrow. What? <laughs> I was like, I was like, fine. <laughs> you know, it's very rarely it's very rarely the thing that you pour over. No. And just like I have uh, I, I have an annotated bibliography. <laughs> I have nine character Bibles for each character. And like and then something like you were taking a shit and yeah. you're like, oh toilet paper guy. Like, fucking toilet paper guy, that's brilliant. You're like, no, no, that's just something I was Yeah, it's no, the best. I yeah. just put three words together. This is <laughs> now I have to build off of that? <laughs> Okay, we literally we got a meeting with Comedy Central a week and a half later. That's hilarious. Yes. So welcome to Hollywood. Anyone who wants to make it. <laughs> what, are, what, are, what are we plugging for you besides Timeless and Preacher? Uh, we got Timeless. We got Preacher. We got Ammo Theater. We'll be we have a play, The Giant Void of My Soul, which will be happening in two months. I don't know when this airs or how this works. Uh, and then uh, that's my that's my life. Good. <laughs> I hope we hang out more. You know, I met you at Comic Con last year. I know, and it was, and I, and I just, 
I, I, I told my wife, like, I really like that guy. I feel, I hope we get to hang out. I hope, I told you I've been a fan of, one, you're friends with uh, Vet Nicole. Yeah. You know Yvette Nicole, who, uh, who, the very first time I played, like, Trophy Boyfriend uh-huh. was on a show with her called The Big House, which was a reverse version of Fresh Prince starring Kevin Hart. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So that was, like, one of the first... How's like, he doing now? Is he making Kevin it... Kevin Hart? Over? Yeah. Is he working on it at all? I don't think he's going to do well at yeah, all. Yeah, it's not... I, uh, think I think he's nearing the end. It's not working out. Yeah. Saw him at an open mic. <laughs> <laughs> Bombed. Completely. <laughs> um, I always tell... I've told you that I've been a friend, uh, fan of yours since Shipmates. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> You know that is that's shipmates is basically my version of uh, toilet paper guy. Yeah, where I did not. It was just one of those shows that I did very briefly. Never thought about and other people like like David Harbor, the Stranger Things. Yes, Hellboy, yes. He came up to me at Comic Con. He was like, "Dude, I'm. Sh- I don't know if you get this all the time. <laughs> I fucking loved shipmates." <laughs> My roommate and I used to watch. You looked so miserable. I you loved it. So unhappy. You looked so unhappy. That's when I became a huge fan of yours. I gotta, I'm going to say this line that I've told you to your face before, which is at the end of the show, right? It's a shipmates. I guess they're on a ship. I don't remember. Yeah, it's yeah, a couple it was show. It blind date, but it, they, we sent them on a boat. Yes, yeah, so blind date on a boat, which is, that's how you want to go on a blind date, yeah. is surrounded by water. That's exactly right. That's <laughs> and exactly so right. you would have like quips at the end of the show to plug the next week and blah, blah, blah. And my favorite quip that you ever had was, uh, you are like, thank you for watching shipmates i'm chris hardwick and my career really should be further along than this <laughs> i can't believe it. i have to say that i have no idea what year that was or it was when 2001 that was. and i will never i from then on i was like that's my mother that's my type of humor you know they i was not working at the time i was really kind of in the depth of you know where my drinking got the worst that it had ever yes. been, and I had quit two years after that. But this is two thousand two. Oh, did you have a drinking problem too? I had one of those. Isn't that great? Yeah, they're oh, awesome. they're the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it really silenced the chatter in the brain. Yeah, it's good. But um, uh, and and so they offered me. They just offered me the show, and I wasn't working, and I turned it down. I'm like, I don't want to do blind date. I did a dating show. I did single out. I don't want to do the date. And they and so what they did is they kept coming back and offering more money. And at a certain point, I was like, um. You know, I'm not working. Maybe I should take this job. Yes. And I said, okay, I'll do the show, but you have to let me say whatever I want. And they said, okay. And they fucking did. I mean, I was, you know, I I was ending shows with Harry Potter references and all sorts of weird recursive stuff. And no one, the only thing that they have ever said that I couldn't say is I... I'm, I, ref, I compared one of the characters to Mussolini, and they're like, no one's going to know who that is. And I go, well, <laughs> maybe they should. Uh, maybe they should understand a little bit about history. And if it makes it look something up, they go, no, you can't say Mussolini. It was the only thing they ever killed. But I could say, like, I'm Chris Hardick. My career really should be going better, which I completely 100% believed. <laughs> no, but that was, was genius. Is like, I could tell that you would leave that. <laughs> it wasn't a joke. <laughs> I mean, if I'm doing this, I might as well be honest about yeah, it. I it might as well great. be honest. Also, what's the name of this? ID10T? ID10T, yeah. You know what's funny? I got the email about this show. Yeah. And they said it, and it said a specific thing that said, uh, it's pronounced ID10T. And I was like, you guys are a bunch of ID10Ts. There's uh, no okay. way, there's no way it's clearly pronounced idiot. He's just being cool. <laughs> and then I no. saw another one, and I was like, no, oh, I'm an idiot. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an IT code. So if you, it's a joke IT code. Yeah. So if, you know, do you know what it is? No. So if you call, like, if you called IT and you had a problem with your computer, but it was entirely your fault, like it wasn't plugged in or you weren't logged into something, then the other person will go, "Oh, that's an ID ID ten T." Because if you hear it, you don't know what you don't know. You're being made fun of. You Got don't it. see it until it's written down. And I always, I love the concept of that so much because the older I get, the more I think 
growing up is really about <laughs> taking responsibility for your just whatever your shit is. And so I love that idea that like user error of just like owning user error yeah. as a concept is is great because I feel like m- you know m- most people at least online are not so good at that. You know, no. it's like they say whatever they're going to say, but if they're ever taken to task, like with the Simpsons, that's exactly a perfect example. It's like I'm <laughs> not fuck you. I'm not. Why would I be reflective in any way or yeah. introspective or maybe maybe try to see that maybe I brought something negative to the table to establish this? <laughs> you know, maybe. And I, what I always say to people is like, "Hey, man, don't uh, don't complain about shit burgers if you brought turds to the barbecue." Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so just be responsible for your own actions. That's a good philosophy. I know it was a very long winded thing. When no, you, it's it good, but now you got to explain. Now I got to explain. I got to be on the episode where you explain it. But uh, my but, podcast is going to be called "User Error." Is, oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. Right? I mean, I think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. No, that's great. That's great. God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. Ugh. It's mostly just... Uh, it's and, most... and your tagline is, get out and kiss my converse. Get out and kiss my converse. <laughs> it's really just a review show of this. <laughs> it's like you were talking dead, but like I just listen to episodes of your show and break it down. Let's start a Last Dragon podcast. <laughs> See how, see how long how we can long can this last dragon podcast go? <laughs> Tom Max, our first guest. 100%. And every guest, to be honest. <laughs> We're here with our guest host, Tom Mac. <laughs> oh, I love Been it. Been waiting. Oh, thank you, Malcolm Barrett. Thank you, Chris this Hardwick. Was an absolute joy. I, my my face and my stomach hurts from laughing through this podcast, so I appreciate it. Come back anytime. I uh, this was the uh, podcast to beat all podcasts. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Dude. Spoon, spoon. You need to glow, you need to glow, to glow, to grow If you love to live, you live to love life You gotta move to the upper level Cause when you got the glow, there is no stopping what you want to do
And if you love to live, you live the life the way you love to love, you take the give. Cause when you got the glow, you see it on your face, you feel it in your head. People understand that you got the glow, and they'll beware, cause the power's there when you got the glow. All a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker. Lied like a liar. Like a liar. And if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal, or you love to hop in the Wayback Machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes, you should tune in to our podcast, Morbid. Follow Morbid on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to episodes early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 